Well, welcome. Don't think you thought you'd hear that. My name's Chris. My name's Barry, if you're listening to the podcast. I'm here all week. Um, I just say welcome. We can carry on in a minute. Um, it's, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm really thrilled to be speaking on uh, the start of this series in Mark's Gospel. Before we come to that, just to say, uh, following on from Barry's notice about the ministry team training on, uh, month to, uh, tomorrow night, um, if you'd like to join the ministry team, if you'd like to be trained in praying for people, uh, please do come as well. It's not just for the team who are as it is. We'd love to invite uh, new people to join us as well. If you've got a Bible with you, uh, it'd be great to turn to the reading we just heard in Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 14 uh, to 20. Before we get to that reading, I'm going to just give us a bit of an intro into the gospel. It's a, a series we've started, we're going to be doing over the next few months uh, here at St. Paul's, looking through the whole of the gospel of Mark, uh, which is great. So before we begin, um, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it brings life. And I pray, Father, that as we look at Jesus today, you draw us to him and we become more like him in all we do and say. Amen. So Mark chapter 1, um, I'm going to begin just with the first couple of verses actually, before we get into our reading this morning. Um, Mark says this, here begins the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. In the book of the prophet Isaiah, God said, look, I am sending my messenger before you and he will prepare your way. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare a pathway for the Lord's coming, make a straight road for him. Mark is one of the, is the gospel that starts with a punch. He does not start with Christmas. There is no Christmas in Mark's gospel. He gets straight to the point. This is the good news, the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. And Mark goes around that. He's making it clear who is the person that he's talking about in his gospel. It's all about Jesus, who he is and what he did. So here, just in these few verses, this is what Mark is saying. Some say that Mark doesn't really think Jesus is more than just a man. Well, I think the first four verses of his gospel completely throw that theory out of the window. He says this, he is the Messiah, the Christ. Um, so he's the one that the whole of Israel have been waiting for. Um, he's the one that was prophesied about by Isaiah. That, uh, John the Baptist is coming as the messenger to prepare a way for the Lord. Uh, but the Lord is coming. Yahweh is coming. God come to earth. Jesus is that one. Mark wants us to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of the hopes of the people of Israel. He was not born a Christian. Uh, he came to lead his people into freedom. He's the fulfillment of every prophecy, and there are hundreds in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament. He's the answer to every longing and every cry there's ever been for God to act in this world. Jesus has come, and he has come with his kingdom, and there is no gospel or good news without him. Jesus is the good news. The gospel is not a theory or a doctrine or an idea. It's a person. Jesus is the gospel. The word gospel actually means news that brings joy. That's great, isn't it? News that brings joy. I don't know if you've been on the BBC website for the last week. It's quite a depressing read. It's my kind of main place to find news. It's a depressing read. I was looking, actually, the last couple of days for news that brings joy. I didn't find any. It's a hard place to find news that brings joy. We don't have a lot of news that brings joy in our world at times. We should celebrate more things that bring joy, I think. But the gospel, the gospel, the person of Jesus, the gospel about him and his kingdom is news that brings joy. 
Jesus said this in verse 14. He went to Galilee after John had been arrested. John, John had stopped pointing people uh, towards God, back towards God, because he'd been put in prison. So Jesus goes into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So the good news is that Jesus has come with his kingdom. The king is here. God's rule and reign has arrived. And this is news that brings great joy. The gospel, uh, the word gospel isn't actually a, a Jewish word. It's, it's from the, it comes from Rome, really. It's a Roman word. And Mark's gospel was probably written uh, in Italy or in Rome. Uh, and it's this, is when that, uh, a message was pronounced by Caesar, by the ruler of the Roman Empire. It was called, and here is the good news from Caesar. Here is the gospel coming from Rome. And the gospel tended to be an announcement of a victory, a battle, a war that had been won, um, a, a new nation that had been conquered and dominated. But when Jesus preached the gospel, the good news, it was totally different. He took that word and he subverted it. He took the word of violence and domination and submission and he made it into a gospel of good news that changes lives. The real king, not Caesar, is here. That, in it, that phrase in itself, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. That phrase in itself was subversive to Rome, which is why it was great news. Because it's good news for the poor and the broken, because in Rome it's about power and dominance. And Jesus said, you're blessed if you've been torn apart, you're blessed if you're broken hearted, uh, if you're poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is yours. It's good news for the sinful and the shamed, for the least and the last, for the slaves and the captive. In Rome, they were just commodities and people to be used. In the kingdom, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. This is the good news that Jesus came to bring. The good news that was his message throughout his life. The kingdom of God has come. Come and join the kingdom. Come and join the new thing that God is doing in our midst. Be part of the kingdom of God. News that brings joy. Have you heard news that brings joy recently? Have you seen that in the Gospels? Jesus comes to bring news of great joy. When we come to uh, verse 16, and this is where I want to focus in a bit more, the call, the call of the disciples. One day as Jesus was walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, which is Peter, and his brother Andrew fishing with a net, for they were commercial fishermen. Jesus called out to them, come be my disciples and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and went with him. A little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat mending their nets. He called them too. And immediately they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and went with him. So in this passage, Jesus calls the first disciples, the first ones we hear about anyway. So Simon, Peter and Andrew, uh, James and John. Uh, Simon, Peter and Andrew are brothers. James and John are brothers. They know each other. They work near each other. They're fishermen in a small fishing village in the north of Israel. They, they were friends and certainly colleagues. But I want to look a little bit more about who they were, what we, can, we know from the gospel here and maybe from other stories about them in the New Testament. The likelihood is they were teenagers or young adults. Uh, they weren't older people. Um, and just like most of their peers, the regular thing to do is once you finish your education, you enter the family business. These guys entered the family business. They were fishermen. It's clear that James and John's dad, Zebedee, had run the family business and they were working for him. They weren't academically strong enough to be considered for further education. And by further education, I mean anything past the age of 10 or 11. 
They weren't, weren't uh, able to be trained further in the Torah, in the law uh, that the Jewish people uh, based their, their life and existence on. They were not the best of the best. They weren't the academic elite. They weren't the top of the class. They were just average, regular, normal people. There's nothing to say they were particularly stupid or, or not able to do things. They were working in a business. They had a trade. They you know, probably made money for themselves and, and that business was fine. But they were just regular working people like you and me. Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. We know that because he's called one regularly. He, he, he operates like a rabbi. And just like every rabbi of the day, uh, Jesus has disciples. That's what he goes to do. As he starts his, his, his time as a rabbi, he has recruits disciples. But what we witness here is Jesus taking the process of, of, of getting disciples and turning it on its head. Firstly, a rab, Jewish rabbi would never choose disciples, ever. Never choose disciples. The process of getting disciples, the disciple, the potential disciple would come to the rabbi and audition, would ask to be a disciple. And these potential disciples of a rabbi would already be 15, 16 years old and highly educated. The likelihood is they would know the entire Old Testament off by heart. That's quite impressive. I barely know Psalm 23 off by heart. I don't know about you. I feel quite impressed that I know some of Psalm 23 off by heart. I don't know anything about the book of Ezekiel off by heart. The whole Hebrew Bible off by heart. These guys are the best of the best. The top of the top. The interview process that would have gone through with a rabbi and a potential disciple was quite intense. The, the, the rabbi would question them about aspects of the Torah, get them to quote from memory uh, parts of the Old Testament, would get them to comment uh, on the kind of the, the leading issues of the day. It's a, it's a full-on interview process, and they've got to go, do well because they're competing with other people to get the place with a, with a, with a rabbi. Um, The rabbi only wants those who are able to think like him, be like him, or hopefully be better than him. He's looking for the best of the best. If a rabbi invited you to join him, if he said, come follow me, he's saying in effect to you, you can be like me and you can do the things that I do. But what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't, no one, well people did approach Jesus and ask to be his disciple. The rich young ruler is a classic example of that. Uh, he came to Jesus and said, What's the, what, what, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? I keep all the commandments. That's quite a claim in itself, actually. I keep all the commandments. I do all the things that are right. What do I need to do? And Jesus said, well, it's great. You've come. You're probably one of the best of the best because you've made your money. You've, you've, you, know, you know the Torah. You're, you're, you're claiming to keep it well. But, you know, there's one thing that's holding you back. You need to sell all you have and give it to the poor. And the guy walks away because he... It's about the heart. It's not just about what's up here. Jesus was saying, uh, the rabbi would effectively say, you can be like me. Jesus went to those who didn't make the cut, who headed into the family business, and he chose them. He chose them because with with Jesus, anyone can be a disciple. Anyone can be a disciple. The uneducated and the educated. The rich and the poor. The holy and the unclean. All uh, are invited to be a disciple of Jesus, including me and you. And maybe for some of us, we're sat on the edge of the kingdom of God. 
we we haven't quite we sit and we listen we we almost watch people tell stories we 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 kind of join in with the songs or we we're around those who follow jesus but we've not yet responded maybe it's because we don't think we're the best of the best and we're unable to respond jesus wouldn't want someone like me because i don't make the cut or i tried and i failed jesus says today come follow me in effect jesus says to you you can be like me that's quite radical you and i can be like jesus rather than being chosen by his disciples um, as um, a rabbi in order to study more of the torah the law jesus with authority calls his disciples to join him in sharing his life and ministry we're invited by jesus when he says come follow me we're invited by him into a relationship with access a disciple is someone who walks and learns from jesus it's a it's a, a whole life thing so we we give the whole of our life to jesus for the whole of our life and jesus assures his disciples that he will always be with them and never leave them or abandon them they're not with their rabbi for a few years until they push out on their own although in one sense that's what happens to the disciples but jesus by his spirit says i'm with you always so we have a relationship with access we're also invited to intimacy to get to know jesus be really close with him i'm told that disciples of rabbis would even follow their rabbi into the bathroom so they could imitate them in every area of life there is no record of that in the gospels i'm just told that's what that's true i'm not recommending that by the way we're far too english and sensible to do that but we are called to be intimate and close with jesus that word intimate sometimes is a bit tricky uh, for some of us to grasp because that implies you know really close and vulnerable and, and naked even and and what, what does that really mean well imagine this jesus in the garden of gethsemane father take this cup from me not my will but yours be done sweating drops of blood at the end of things he has three friends with him they let him down in the story but he has three people with him that's an intimate place to be isn't it raw vulnerable painful exposed that's intimacy that's intimacy we're called to that kind of relationship with jesus where we are utterly open with him and where he gives his life for us intimacy is really important in our worship in all we do the final thing is is that this relationship is secure if we fail we're still with jesus he does not abandon us and i wonder even if that's a word for some of us today if we fail he is still with us i would suggest when we fail he is still with us jesus said to his disciples in john chapter 10 no one can snatch my sheep out of my hands no one the greek for that means no one no one can snatch my sheep out of my hand we're not on probation we're not going to be rejected when we make a mistake or when we fail come follow me jesus said all can come come follow me you're not the best of the best you're not the top the cream of the crop necessarily although you might be but come follow me come follow me all are welcome come get to know me walk with me learn from me there's uh, the message translation of um 
of uh, Matthew chapter um, 11, verse 28, says, Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. What a great invitation. That's news that brings joy, isn't it? Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And secondly, um, Jesus said this, Come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. We are invited to a relationship, but we're invited to a relationship that has a challenge. The challenge is to allow Jesus to teach us how to fish for people. Jesus is in effect saying, come and follow me and I will radically redefine the entire direction of your life. For some of us, we like the come follow me bit, but the idea that Jesus would mess our life up in a good way is not so appealing. Come follow me and I will radically redefine and redirect your life priorities. He's saying to James and John, to Simon and Andrew, come and join a new family business. You're a fisherman, you're good fishermen. That's your family business. I'm inviting you to a new family business, a new thing, fishing for people. Come and join a, a business where the central concern is the kingdom of God. So when we become followers of Jesus, when we respond to that call, we're given a new vocation or a priority to seek first the kingdom, Jesus said. So look at it this way. Between the two sets of brothers, they left their nets, their boats, their financial security, their business, their colleagues and their family to follow Jesus. That's quite a change. That's quite a call. We do know from reading the rest of the Gospels that they did go fishing again. We know that they had contact with their families. We're not talking about seclusion and total kind of cutting off. But Jesus is still calling them to a radical change of life, with him as their number one priority over everything else. Jesus is saying to them, I want priority over your family. For some of us, we'd be quite happy to give God priority over our family. But if we were to say, God, I give you priority over my financial arrangements, over my wallet, or if, God, I give you priority over my choices and my decisions and my career and what I'm doing, then that might start to cut home a bit harder. Jesus wants priority over everything. He's saying, your future, give it to me. Put me first over your future plans. Put me first over your career. Put me first over your finances. Put me first over your relationships. Put me first over your education. The thing is, we hear that and we hear oppression and, and control and I've got no choice. And, 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 and in doing that, we misunderstand completely who Jesus is. He said, you know, if you want to, if you just keep hold of your life, if you think you can do it all your way, you'll, you'll lose it. You'll lose your life. But if you let it go to me, if you trust me, you'll gain it. You'll gain life. It is true. It is costly to be a disciple of Jesus. We're not invited to a six-week self-help course that will hopefully, you know, the Paul McKenna book, I can make you rich, I can make you thin, I can make you successful. I mean, great. Really? Everyone? So if I gave it to uh, every guy and person that comes on on our Alpha course, one of Paul McKenna's books, this isn't a slight of Paul McKenna, it's just the whole idea of this self-help thing, by the way, in case he listens to the podcast and is already appalled by my comment at the start. But if I give all of them a book, would all of them achieve success? Would all of them achieve richness? Would all of them achieve the perfect figure? I don't think so. But can all of them follow Jesus? Can all of them be like him? Can all of them make a difference in this world? Yes. Unequivocally, absolutely. But it is costly to follow Jesus. Out of all the disciples that followed Jesus, only one of them wasn't martyred for their faith. I think if Jesus had said to them at the start, come follow me and you'll die, they may not have said yes. 
But come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Come and follow me and, and I'll change the direction of your life. And together we'll change the world. And the cost is high, but the rewards are great. It is costly to be a disciple. But we are being called to something magnificent, wonderful, fantastic. I came to faith at 18. I put it off for several years because I was too chicken to kind of work, because I worried about what my friends thought of me, basically. I didn't want to do something that I might look uncool, as if I ever looked cool anyway. Don't laugh. But the reality is this. Because of my gutlessness, I had three, I had several years where I just wouldn't follow Jesus. I'm being honest. It's true. We're called to something so great, so worth giving our lives to. And Jesus said, come follow me. I'll show you how to fish for people. It could be a really big call. It could be a call to literally leave everything and go and follow Christ. And we know of people, some of us are sat here today, who have done just that. Have given it all up to follow Jesus. And it looks like foolishness to so many. I think those big calls are so often accompanied by kind of questions from people. Really? That's just unwise. Surely you can do both. Surely you can keep earning some money on the side and and, and lead this and do that. Jesus said, come follow me. I'll radically redirect your life. I'll be your priority. I'll be the one whom you follow. Maybe we're called into serving church in whatever way that might be. God called me to do that. The rest of the world is rejoicing. But God called me to serve uh, his church, to, to be a pastor. I love it. I love it. I'm so thrilled that God called me. It's not easy. It's not been easy. There is a cost. It's not the only call that God gives. In fact, I think most of us, all of us, are called in different ways. Well, we are all called in different ways. But maybe some of us are called to, to leave something, to give something up, to move somewhere, to go overseas, to give to others, whatever it might be. Maybe there's a big call. Maybe God is stirring something in one of your hearts this morning, in some of our hearts today, where we sense that God might be leading us to a new place. And I want to encourage that. I want to pray more, Lord, for you. But regardless of where our response to Jesus' invitation takes us, we're called to follow him in the everyday stuff that we do. I just want to have the last slide up, Alex, if that's okay. And Paul, when he writes to the Romans, he, he sums it up really well. This is the message translation of Romans 12, 1 and 2. So here's what I want you to do. In view of God's mercy, in view of what God's done, and in view of what Jesus did on the cross for us, and in view of his invitation to us, how do we respond? What does it mean to be fishers of people? Well, it means this. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. The challenge for us is how we daily respond to that invitation. Come follow me today, Jesus said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Come follow me today and let's see what we can do together. Come follow me today and we can walk together through this problem. Come follow me today and I will challenge you beyond what you think you could do. Come follow me today and I'll lead you to places you never thought you could go. Come follow me today and you get to speak into the lives of different people. Come follow me today. Lay it all down for me. Give your life over to me that you might gain it, not lose it. A few years ago, there was an alpha poster. and I haven't got a picture of it, unfortunately. Which basically had the words, kind of job, 
girlfriend, car, season ticket to United. You can pick your United. Is there more to life than this? The answer is yes, and it's Jesus. Is there more to life than that? Yes. Do we settle for so much less sometimes? I know I do. Jesus invites us to a whole new way of doing things, a new way to look at work, a new way to look at money, a new way to look at others, a new way to view ourselves. Jesus says you can be like me. You can pray for sick people and see them healed. You can tell people the news that brings great joy and see them respond. See something come of the life of God come upon them. How do we seek first the kingdom in everyday life? How do we make Jesus our number one priority? It starts with worship. Because we can't become like the one we worship. We worship Jesus. We become like him. And worship, Paul says, lay your life before him. Your everyday stuff, the mundane and the exciting, whatever it is, lay it before him. If we lay down our earthly ambitions and security, we gain life. Is there anything that Jesus is saying to us that we need to walk away from? Do we need to leave behind something in order to embrace the life he has for us? Are we struggling to give him priority over everything? I'm sure we are. But maybe there's something today that God is putting his finger on. Maybe it's our future or our family, whatever it might be. To finish, the call uh, to follow Jesus is a call to enter the kingdom. Jesus said the way to enter the kingdom is repentance and faith. Repentance means to turn around. It means a new direction. It means getting rid of the stuff that God hates and clinging on to the stuff that he loves. And I believe that if we follow Jesus, one of the hallmarks of that is that we'll be filled with joy. It's not superficial happiness. We know that. It's deeper than that. It's a sense of contentment. It's a sense that I found my home. St. Augustine said that we are restless until we find our rest in him. And sometimes because the call seems great, we hold back. But we'll be restless until we find our rest in him. Ken Costa said this, that we'll, we'll, we'll have just enough of Jesus to be miserable until he has all of us and we have all of him. We'll have just enough of Jesus to be miserable until he has all of us and we'll have all of him. So this morning, Jesus says to each one of us again, come follow me. And I'll show you how to fish for people. How will we respond? Can we stand?